Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. Hi, and thanks everyone for joining us for this edition of the Kantar Futures podcast. My name is Lynn Deesom. I'm head of... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Excellence in the UK, and I'm delighted to welcome Jamie Peet from McCann. So Jamie, thanks so much for joining me today. I know we both grew up in the northwest of England and hearing your accent always makes me feel at home. I think you grew up near Blackpool, is that right? I did indeed, uh, Lynn, yes. So I was actually born in St. Anne's-on-Sea, for anybody who knows the Fylde coast, but I actually live and grew up in Blackpool, lived there until I was 18 and then went off to, to university. I actually went to university in the northeast to Durham and then did some time down in London and then came back to the Northwest. But I'm a, a real Northwesterner and I, I'm a proudly Northern as well and have feel like I have real roots here as well. Yeah, I'm with you. So although I now live in the Midlands, I, I went to school in Blackpool. So we have more in common than perhaps we realised. So your job title suggests you wear a few different hats. So sure. could you tell us uh, what the title is and, and what you actually do in your day-to-day roles? So I'm the Global Head of Retail Strategy for McCann. I head up planning and strategy, really, for all of our key retail clients across the network, of which, obviously, Aldi, which we're going to talk about, is key one. We have the Aldi business currently in the UK and Republic of Ireland, which I'm very involved with. And then we also have the Aldi business in Germany and some business in uh, Italy also, And then I also help and lead, in fact, what we call the CPG and retail practice. So this is a kind of global group that brings together a number of people who work on or have some interest and expertise in sort of consumer goods and retail clients, retail brands. And we operate as a kind of thought leader, expertise, develop tools unit for the whole of the McCann network. So... That's a large part of my job. The other part of my job is I'm also head of effectiveness for the UK and Europe. So I lead on helping to develop our sort of shared effectiveness culture with our clients. And I I do use the word shared there deliberately because I think it's a really, really important thing that we uh, together as sort of growth partners with our clients, that we, we build that culture. And it's a culture that really both helps to understand and celebrate and promote the power of 
creativity to deliver effectiveness. How, how creativity is probably the biggest multiplier of effectiveness and how that can be something that can be nurtured and, and, and therefore can flourish in a client partner relationship. And of course, increasingly with marketeers needing to not only justify their marketing budget, the pounds, dollars, euros, whatever they might be spending, they also have to justify creatively where they go as well and what their creative strategy is and and ultimately what their creative platforms and executions are. And so a big part of what I do in in developing that and working with our teams all around the network to help them grow that culture with clients is helping clients with those kinds of conversations. That's another shared passion there. Personally, and also at Kantar, you know, that creativity is key to driving effectiveness because, you know, the brain is programmed to pay attention to things that are distinctive and entertaining and that tap into human emotion. I mean, effectiveness is something that stands McCann apart from its competitors. We've seen evidence of that from Walk recently. So McCann Worldwide being named as the number one most effective global network. McCann Manchester are your base being named as you know eighth most effective individual agency in the world and you personally were recognized in uh, campaigns uh, school reports recently as McCann's UK star player massive congratulations on those achievements I was also going to quickly say Lynn you know and you'll you'll appreciate this I often draw on my Blackpool heritage in all of this I think one of the things that anybody who anybody who doesn't know might be listening to this, of course, around the globe, Blackpool is a seaside town in the in the northwest of England that sort of really developed. Uh, it developed as a holiday destination for people who worked in industry in in the north northwest of England in a lot of the cotton mills and and so forth. Popular entertainment became a big thing in Blackpool, and you know the popular entertainers of the day, you know, probably over the last hundred years or so, have repeatedly had shows or performed in Blackpool. So, entertainment and the power of entertainment to grab our attention, as 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 Lynn says, is very very in our blood in Blackpool. So, I think that's something, Lynn, that you and I probably draw on in all of this. Agreed, <laughs> and I think I'd add to that as well a sense of uh, empathy. Mm. I know the importance of people and making those connections that, you know, that's part of my childhood that I really enjoyed, you know, just connecting people and understanding them, getting to know them really well. And yeah. um, you touched on this idea of shared effectiveness and partnering clients, helping them with some of those difficult justification conversations they might have internally to, you know, way behind the importance of creativity and creative effectiveness. What else do you think it is that you tend to do at McCann Manchester that leads to such effective work? First of all, being in not in London is a big advantage. So we are obviously a part of McCann UK. I, I work all the time with, uh, with my London colleagues, both on work that is across uh, the whole of the UK, Aldi being a client that, that McCann London work on also. But I think increasingly, there is a sort of bubble of sort of marketing and advertising that has become a bit divorced from the public in general. A lot of things have led to this. When I started in this industry anyway, you know, you used to go to focus groups, you used to go and see people in houses or listen to people and go on shops with them and look what was in their cupboards and look what they were buying and all the rest of it and talk to the families. 
I think increasingly with digital technology, we don't do that anymore. So we are more removed from real people. And if you then also then take that into, you know, living in Greater London or London, which is a, a sort of micro economy, micro, micro region in its its own right, you can become very detached from people in general. And I think being outside London, we do tend to, I think, get a better sense of what is happening around the country and an understanding of how we can produce work that connects with people. And it's, this is a really, really important thing. A big part of, of course, effectiveness is about long-term results, long-term brand growth, long-term brand profitability and revenue, and also all the metrics that, that go along with that as well. But it's understanding that to get to those things, you have to really understand people. Effectiveness is a human thing at the, at the very heart of it. You are, are you actually connecting with people? Are you, you know, developing the kinds of positive emotions and associations that will hopefully help to change attitudes and behavior over time and they will deliver the results that you want? And I think you only do that by really understanding who people are and understanding who shoppers are and really getting understanding their lives and needs and wishes and values and all, all of those sorts of things. I think also tend to have quite long-standing relationships with our clients. We have had a long-standing relationship, certainly with Aldi. And with the team at Aldi, we kind of know each other and like each other. And that goes a long way towards producing effective work because you can have some quite robust conversations about things and know that that is okay. And equally, that that also means that we, we're, we're in a lucky position where we have a good relationship with a client at many levels and, and right up to the very senior levels of the, of the CEO. We can have conversations at those kind of levels as well, which again helps everybody understand what we're trying to do, everybody understand why it is we're saying what we're trying to do, where this is all coming from. I always say that the you know the boardroom is the sort of most left-brained rational place in the world. And if you're going in there to try and justify things that don't seem very rational and logical, you have to A, know the people very well, and B, you have to have this, the kinds of information that you cantar produce. You you give us the logic that helps the magic. You know, you can give us some quite robust data-based arguments that suggest very illogical, magical, right brain kind of stuff. And that's really helpful, really helpful. Yeah, I think nuanced understanding of your audience is so important. You know, we tend to assume that other people are like us, that they think the same as us, that they feel the same as us. And, you know, that's simply not true. And it's the richness of people that I think makes the work you do and the work that I do really fascinating. Yeah. And I think that curiosity for people makes a difference and helps you create better work. It's just something that people naturally have. Understand people for who they are and what they are and why they are the way they are. And that's okay. A truth on advertising is... It's really about winning at the end of the day. If you don't win, you don't get paid, broadly speaking. So it's not surprising that advertising attracts people where winning and being a bit competitive and so forth is in their blood. But that's probably not true of people in general. But I think belonging and, and being connected to somewhere and feeling a sense of community, a sense of family, that's really important. And that might be, I'm not saying that marketing people aren't like that, of course, but the priority that it's given might be a bit different. And so really understanding that is very important and understanding that your values aren't necessarily completely or on the same proportion as the people that you're trying to communicate with. And as you say, understanding the richness of 
other people in their lives is, is key to that, really. Yeah, I love that, Jamie. And I think um, certainly what we see coming through is that people enjoy and engage advertising more when they see other people portrayed positively. And there's lots of different ways to do that and getting that nuance right really matters. Um, I mean, perhaps we can make this kind of thinking really tangible for the listeners. Um, so you said you work for Aldi. You know, we see in Britain that people love Christmas ads and McCann Manchester have repeatedly had success with the Aldi Kevin the Carrot campaign. You know, we see that Christmas ads in the UK tend to be really highly enjoyable. They're massively emotionally evocative. They have that really good feel factor that I think you're touching on with what you're talking about. You know, they make that emotional connection. But sometimes when you're borrowing interest from something, which you've tended to do with the Aldi campaign, but you've done it in a really clever way, the brand can get forgotten. So how do you think it is that you've created work where you've borrowed from it was um, probably maybe the second most famous Christmas story after 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 the birth of Jesus. Um, you know, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, you borrowed on that this year, but we saw that it was still owned by the Aldi brand. What's the secret behind the magic? With Kevin and with the Aldi campaign, we've, we've been very consistent, really. So first made appearance in Christmas 2016, and obviously we've had six iterations now, six versions. We've really tried to be very consistent. So not only have we kept Kevin and his then his his cast of characters and friends and other people in there, there's been a real consistency in the visual style, in uh, the kind of animation, the VOs, the sort of story structures, if you like. So what that's meant is that people have become very familiar with Kevin, with the Kevin adverts, with how Kevin behaves. My, my, my analogy to this, and I'm probably going to show my age here, is Dad's Army. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So if we think about Dad's Army... And, you know, Captain Murray and Sergeant Wilson and Hodges, the greengrocer and so forth. You got to know those characters. You got to know who they were, where they lived, how they behaved. What that then means over time is you can put them into situations. You can put them into new situations where there's the excitement and the novelty and the twist and the jeopardy of the new situation but all of the familiarity of who they are, how they behave, how they deal with each other, the jokes, the line, you know, Mr. Mannering, all the rest of it. You've got this kind of thing where 60, 70% familiar and 30% surprising new twists. So it's mostly familiar, yet a little bit surprising. Now, I think that's Christmas. Christmas is mostly familiar. 
that we do a lot of things that we probably do every year. We probably did them as kids a bit. You know, we buy presents, we wrap presents, we open presents. We have the family or we friends around. We have a kind of roast dinner or, or something similar. We put on silly hats. We tell jokes. But also there's a little, every year, new things emerge. Unboxing, that's become a bit of a thing, hasn't it, now on Christmas Eve? Christmas markets have become a bit of a thing. So new traditions come, you know, Christmas TV programs, same old films every year, you know, whether you're watching The Sound of Music or It's a Wonderful Life or so forth. But then there'll be new things as well. So what we've always tried to do with Kevin is have something that is largely familiar and with a familiar cast of characters, but then twist it to keep it surprising. And not only twist it to keep it surprising, actually allow participation of the audience. Um, Howard Luck Gossage, who was famous advertising luminary in the in the States, had a, an agency called Fire Station, didn't he, in San Francisco. And I'm probably going to misquote this, but he said, if you're baiting a trap, leave room for the mouse. And what he's basically saying is, leave room for people to find things, see things, notice things, participate. So in developing the whole campaign that was run in, in 2021, Christmas Carrot, of course, based on the Christmas Carol, Charles Chickens, so Christmas Carrot by Charles Chickens, as we called it, We had a story there that, of course, everybody knows that story pretty much. We all know that story. And so if you take that and then take a cast of characters who are familiar and introduce some new characters, you can do exactly what I've just said. You can have something that people know and like, but you can twist it. And actually, you get more room to twist it because we're so familiar with the story, you sort of don't have to waste too much time telling a lot of the story because the audience will fill the gaps in. We know what happens. We know what Scrooge is like. We know what Ebanana is like. And we know that redemption hopefully will come at the end and so forth. So you can put bits and things in there that people can notice and like. Aldi had this partnership with Neighborly about giving food to families, I should say. Marcus Rashford, he became Marcus Radishford, did a, a little cameo in this in the story for us. We referenced Cuthbert, the, the caterpillar, we referenced the gingerbread men that had been used in the Great British Bake Off. There were some little jokes in there, all sorts of stuff. And people notice and like that, but still get the story and still know the characters. And so it becomes a very emotionally enjoyable experience. And I think if you can produce something that stands the test of watching again and again, and watching again and again, you see something a bit different, you notice something, you laugh at something a bit different, then that's very rewarding. Back to the point that you made, Lynn, about empathy. It's treating audiences with respect. It's very easy to think we need to shout and get messages across at people and sort of hammer home our single-minded, unique selling proposition Whereas if we can entertain people and reward people for giving us their time for watching, they're much more likely to A, warm to us and like us. And if they warm to us and like us and pay attention to us, they're more likely then to hopefully understand what it is we're trying to persuade them with or get them to remember. And so that was very much the thinking around that piece of work. I have to say that, you know, hats off to the creatives, getting things right, spending time on the detail, making it look really good, making the jokes just right, making the characters, getting the music. These things are really, really important. The craft of producing something like that cannot be underestimated. I mean, that's when we talk about creativity, 
it's such a big word, isn't it? You know, cre- creative and creativity. Creativity in what we do is so much in the craft of producing something like that, which is enjoyed, is, is noticed, is enjoyed, is remembered, is positively consumed, if you like, that then leads to emotions and memories being laid down. So the risk is when you borrow from something that's very familiar, like that story, that's probably one of the most retold stories ever, is that the brand can get forgotten. But because of that consistency of style, it's so brand-centric that Aldi is at the heart of it. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's a, it is a very good point. And it comes from having a real understanding of the problem that we're trying to solve with advertising. And I, I cannot emphasize enough, spend time in the diagnosis phase. How do you unpack the problem? And in unpacking the problem, think about what communications can do for you. So at Aldi at Christmas, we spent a lot of time understanding what our challenge is and what we can do about it. So one of the the challenges that Aldi faced is Aldi shoppers, and we, we know this from research we've done, really like Christmas. And they're also natural planners. So Aldi shoppers tend to plan because they want to maximize the Christmas they can have for the budget they have to spend, the money they have to spend. And they'll work it all out and they'll they'll do it over maybe two or three paychecks. So it's all figured out, you know. That presents a challenge for Aldi for two reasons. First of all, Aldi's not very Christmassy because the nature of a discounter that operates relatively small stores, relatively limited number of lines, 2,000 lines, as opposed to Tesco's, what, 25,000, 30,000 average, some, some a lot more. And stores that, you know, have a lean operating model, so don't have a lot of point of sale, don't have lots and lots of room to put up loads of Christmassy stuff. So stores aren't very Christmassy. So Aldi's not a natural association with Christmas. What they would see was that people would start to drift away. Even loyal Aldi shoppers would drift away towards Christmas. And Aldi being limited, they they have to take out other lines to put their Christmas lines in. So quite a lot of the fresh lines, you know, things like fresh turkeys and some of the party food, it won't even come in until just probably a week or two weeks before Christmas. Their key challenge at Christmas was to try and hold on to more of the spend of those shoppers. So we knew the advertising had to do two key things, really or even three things, it had to keep Aldi top of mind at a time when Aldi aren't really very top of mind. And in doing that, so staying top of mind, it had to do that in a Christmassy way. So something we weren't naturally associated with, we had to try and become associated with. And then the third thing was we had to show off the range. So we don't have all that range in all the time because we just haven't got room for it. So lines will come in over the period and lines will go out. So we had to find some way of showcasing that to people. In bringing all those things together, what what Kevin has done is it allows us to have this character, this fluent device, this mascot, which over time has become highly associated with Aldi at Christmas. But the other things that he allows us to do is he can showcase things. So he showcases the product. He does it in the main launch ad. But then as we get nearer to Christmas, we have more tactical product-based executions that say, you know, it's about Christmas mince pies or Christmas puddings or whatever it might be that he can show off. And also he works well across devices. So he works in an omnichannel way. So we can use him on social. We can use him in digital. We can use him as well as TV. We can use him in outdoor. We can do some unusual things with him. We can sell merchandise and so forth. 
All of that comes from an understanding of the brand and the brand's challenge at Christmas. And therefore, if you can have that, that understanding, that makes sure that you keep the brand and the brand's needs front and center in what you're doing. And therefore, in borrowing the creative idea, you still have that bit in there. And it's it's really, really important. Yeah, thanks for that. I think that will help people really understand where that comes from it is the difference between a pure piece of entertainment and the brand you know if you look at great entertainment it will have human insight as we've talked about today it will tap into culture it's creating culture but the complexity with advertising is you've got to also connect that with the brand and make sure the brand has a key role and when those things come together you get this magic that's created and i think it's you know back to back to consistency and sticking with things i mean one of the other issues is as you say, we, we, we as an industry, advertising in general, are obsessed with the, the novel and the innovative. We like new things. and We always look at new things. And you only have to look at the big creative shows to look at the sorts of things that tend to win, particularly over the last few years, have been things that are quite novel and innovative. However, in general, people don't always want that. I mean, back to things that are largely familiar and just a little bit different. That's important. The issue, I think, is also that as an industry, that also permeates in our way of behavior. So we don't always respect experience. We're always looking to reinvent things and to try and get new things. You know, think about industries like, not even industries, professions, I should say, being an architect, being a lawyer, being a doctor. You build on past experience. You learn from precedent and learning and stand on the shoulders of all the people who've done great things before. And perhaps one of the things we, the marketing and comms and advertising industry could do is a bit more of that really i don't think people really change that much you know culture changes some contexts change deep human truths don't tend to change and the meaningful roles that brands need to earn in our lives probably don't change that much so i think that's a really important part of the understanding as well Agreed. Yeah. And I think when you when your creative idea taps into one of those real human truths, that means it has longevity, doesn't it? So there's one thing I wanted to ask you about, which I think is very pertinent at the moment, which is how you think the nature of creativity and the role of advertising might change if the cost of living crisis starts to hit people. What would you like to see happen for this to work well? I think this is all about how we tend to mix up outputs and outcomes. So outcome-wise, brands want people to appreciate their quality and probably facing into the huge financial challenges and and world challenges that we're looking into this year. I mean, it's going to be a chilly autumn in, in lots of ways. Obviously, value is going to be very, very important. However, that's an outcome. The output might not be to hammer home stuff that is very seriously about value. It might be about trying to engage and entertain people to make them take in your message. While the pandemic was on, I was very interested to look back at the Second World War. So during the Second World War, obviously, there was a need for people to take on lots of, you know, there was obviously rationing and there were, there were things that had to happen about homeland security and so forth like that. But what emerged very early on was kind of the need for entertainment. So things like songs, things like radio shows with comedy on, they emerged very strongly because people were looking for entertainment to distract them and to reward them. And if you look at then what happened to 
pandemic, advertising that talked a lot about the seriousness of the pandemic, particularly at Christmas, actually didn't score as well on effectiveness measures as advertising that sort of moved on from that and celebrated Christmas, celebrated human togetherness, celebrated the joy, had a bit of fun. My hunch is in terms of outputs of what we need going into this, we need a bit more of that. We need stuff that will reward us and create more positive emotion and association. And entertainment is a great way to do that. And things that reward the audience, reflatter the audience, reward the, uh, the audience's intelligence in all of these things, rather than things that will hammer home very strong, serious value messages. Now, I think it then comes back to what we've already alluded on, which you know, in the in the very rational world of the boardroom and the the, the meeting room. With the added pressure of sales graphs that might not be going the right way and cost pressure graphs that are going up, having the evidence and the the support that Kantar can give to justify doing something that might seem a little frivolous is, I think, really important. Things that are entertaining are not necessarily trivial, can have outcomes that are anything but trivial. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially nowadays, it's harder for advertising to earn attention. I think it used to be thought of as a bit of a given. You have to work hard and entertainment or creating advertising that's meaningful in some way. That earns attention, that's relatively easy to understand, is key to to success. So just one final area which touches into retail that I'd like to explore with you, which is the idea of differentiation in in the retail sector. You know, traditionally, there's been a lot of tactical advertising around, you know, value and price. Um, But we've also started to see this tendency, I think, to brands or retail brands trying to differentiate themselves in a way that's more meaningful. So, you know, that whole fit made real sense. You've got brands like Sainsbury's, you know, trying to help people eat better one plate at a time. So you've got this kind of trend for differentiation. Do you think that will be compromised given what we're seeing with uh, the cost of living crisis? Or do you think brands will still take that role quite seriously? I think it's still very important. I think the key thing with that differentiation is it has to be true to what you are as a brand. So it's so easy for brands to take on something that they would say was differentiating, but is just a bit of a bolt on. Treat our audience, you know, treat everybody with respect and intelligence. We work it out, you know? And so with a brand like Aldi, Aldi, which has always been a value proposition, has always been about uh, you know the very birth of Aldi in Germany after the First World War, before the Second World War, where the, the Albrecht family was because it was a, it was a way of providing lower cost food, food that was of good quality but lower cost. That is absolutely where Aldi came from, and it's absolutely what the brand has always been about. You know, there's a famous quote I think from Karl Albrecht that says something like, "We don't ask, ask how much we can sell things for; we ask how little we can charge for it." Or, or I paraphrase. It's, you get the you get the gist. So that's the truth of the brand. In doing stuff with Nabling with Marcus Rashford, Rashford, it, it's a natural fit and a natural part of the brand. And I would be very surprised if, as we you know, even face into more challenging financial times, that we go equally back to Sainsbury's. You know, good food costs less at Sainsbury's. Try something new. Eat better. That is kind of always been part of what they are all about. It's totally appropriate for them to stick with that. What might happen, maybe, is where brands have just bolted things on, 
they might find that increasingly difficult to maintain. I mean, there was the famous quote in recent times was the Hellman mayonnaise thing, wasn't it? With investment fund managers sort of calling out Unilever and saying, well, you know, Dove, Campaign for Beauty, you kind of understand where that is. Purcell's dirt is good. But mayonnaise, what is mayonnaise for? Make sandwiches tasty. I think it's important that the differentiation, whatever it might be, is true to what the brand is. Otherwise, it just doesn't feel like it's real. It's not a truth of what the brand is, if you like. And maybe it will make brands think a bit more about what those differentiating things really are and how they then dramatize them through their advertising. What we would think of as authenticity or whole brand thinking. So going back to your roots and ensuring you're being true to those origins and then how you bring it to life. Yes. And, you know, hopefully we won't see that compromise in terms of things like sustainability and things like that. It's making it affordable and accessible to everybody that that really matters. So I think there's lots of great, interesting, really valuable insights that you've shared for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode.